Hello everyone and thank you for joining us for our very first, well at least what I believe is our very first uh, podcast here at Harry Norman Realtors and I'm hoping it is the first of many and I couldn't be more happy uh, to have as our very first guest Aaron Yabruti with our Buckhead office who was just recently uh, announced as our company-wide agent of the year. Uh, and I know that that's something that's uh, two years in the making, isn't it, Aaron? It is. Yeah, so congratulations and Thank welcome. You. We are thrilled to have you. And um, we just kind of want to get to know you a little bit uh, and a little bit about you, about your you know, family, how you got into real estate, what you did maybe before real estate. So kind of give us a, a little intro as to who Aaron is and how she came to be where she's sitting here today. <laughs> I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's generally the answer. (laughs) How did this happen? So I grew up in Athens, Georgia, and I went to Vanderbilt, moved to Atlanta, got married, moved to Charlotte, moved back to Atlanta in 1998. So I feel like pretty much a native here, pretty close to that. I have done many things in my life. I was a teacher. I worked for Home Depot in their corporate office, and I am a mom. So before I got my real estate license, I had three children. I had bought and sold many homes and really enjoyed it and thought about getting my license, had a baby, had another baby, finally did it after my son was born in 2005, and... Since then, I've only bought one house, (laughs) but um, I guess what drew me in was enjoying homes, enjoying people. My father was in sales. I was always the number one Girl Scout cookie salesperson. Wow. So I think it comes naturally, and here we are. Wow. Well, you know, that doesn't surprise me. Um, You may have heard that uh, some of the best agents used to be teachers or caregivers, nurses. And so to hear that you, I did not know that you used to be a teacher, but it makes perfect sense. And being the number one Girl Scout salesperson, I mean, you're just naturally gifted in sales, I guess, right? I guess so. And being a realtor is like being a teacher because you're managing however many clients you have at the time. So it's kind of like managing a classroom. And and helping people kind of learn and just kind of guiding them along and, you know. People at different ability levels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, perfect. So now, so you said since 2005 is when you got your license. And I'm going to assume that you didn't start off with a team. Did you start off as an individual? I started as an individual and I really wanted to make it as an individual. So I did that. I was with another firm for about 18 months and decided to move to a different firm with more luxury marketing. And while I was there, so maybe three-ish years into the business, I had a part-time assistant I shared with another agent. Then I was able to afford a full-time assistant and then got my first associate and have just grown since then. Okay. So when you were, um, what was, um, what kind of led to you realizing that you needed to bring on 
that assistant and like how did you kind of go about that process of maybe selecting that person start us off with that and then i'd kind of love to hear a little bit more how you have evolved and you know blossom into the team that you have today so i mean really just not being able to manage my career and my family and this is my career my husband is more the stay-at-home dad he does have a job but it's much more flexible so i'm the one and i needed help managing the how busy real estate is and time consuming seven days a week so I met a woman who was already working for an agent in my firm and we decided to share and that worked out great. She then morphed into being my full-time assistant and then we got our first associate and that was a function of not wanting to say no to people but not having time to maybe help one of my client's children buy a $100,000 condo in an area that I didn't know much about, but not wanting to turn them down. Okay. So I wanted the ability to serve more people across different spectrums of the market. Gotcha. So when you, uh, when you, I, I'd like to go back to the assistant for a second. So you say, you know, you realized that it was a matter of, I, I had to try and balance this, this work life family type stuff. And so was it a, w w was it a function of you did so much one year and you're like, I okay, I, I can't burn the candle at two ends like this anymore. Was it a number of units that you were doing or you just kind of felt overwhelmed and, you know, how did you kind of just decide, okay, I need help? I mean, I guess it was the number of transactions more than, I mean, and then you have to have the volume to be able to afford it. So I guess I got to a place where I felt like I could financially afford to pay someone and that that would be a good investment in my business. And do you remember kind of what that what that threshold was? Because And the reason I'm asking this question is we get asked all the time. You know, you have an agent who's working. They get to a certain production level. They're tentative to pull the trigger and make that financial commitment because they're scared. Like, oh, my gosh, I got somebody else whose livelihood is depending on me now. But, you know, at some point in time, some something's got to give and something's got to take. And, you know, I can remember when agents asked me, I always used to say it was around that 20 transaction mark or about that eight to 10 million in volume mark where you really just couldn't do it. One person can't effectively do it. I would say it was probably the eight to 10 million mark. One piece of advice I got was to have enough money saved to continue to support my business as I was doing it, marketing, et cetera, but enough money saved to pay a person for a year. Wow, that's so great advice. Think about, you know, starting off with half of a year because it was a half-time person and then morphing into having enough because you do, it is scary and you would never want to be in a position where you felt like things were going south and not only were you tanking, but you were taking somebody else down with you because they are counting on you sure. and you're offering them 
employment and they're making plans based on that. So I think that was really good advice. Fantastic advice. I'd never heard that before, but that's something I'll, I'll certainly remember to pass along to people when I get asked. Now, so this person started off kind of as an admin, really kind of pushing the paperwork, doing the, you know, kind of getting your contract to close, that kind of thing. Correct. And how did you compensate them, if you don't mind me asking? Was it on a salary basis or per, like, in the beginning, it was hourly because in the beginning, it was really part-time and it was really flexible. She is also a mom and had two children at home then. And so it was a rough schedule of, you know, maybe 10 to 2, five days a week. But we would ebb and flow on that. And she would just tell me how many hours she had worked and I would write her a check probably every two weeks, something okay. like that. And it was pretty informal. We weren't involving bookkeepers and all of that. I think, you know, of course, I 1099 her at the end of the year. Then when I was sharing with the other agent, we got together and decided we wanted to do bonuses. We wanted to pay this hourly rate. And I really can't remember. I mean, you know, it was probably 12 to $15 an hour, I okay. would say. And so we were paying the hourly rate. And then for every transaction, we came up with a scale of, you know, X dollar volume equaled X bonus. And then the next bracket was a little bit more as an incentive because we wanted her to... And the other agent and I were not a team. We were separate individuals, but we wanted our admin to help us grow our business. That was the whole point. If she took administrative tasks off of our plate, our business would grow. And the more efficiently she did that, the better we would be. So we wanted to give her an incentive to do that. Right. So that's kind of cool. So you had another agent also who you were sharing this person with. And so that way you didn't have the full commitment of a 40-hour work week. So nice, uh, nice arrangement there. So from the admin, you added the first buyer's agent. And was that really kind of out of necessity to work those? Because you couldn't say no, but it really kind of wasn't in alignment with where you wanted to take your personal production or? Correct. But I've never, a lot of teams do listing agents and buyer's agents. I've never structured things that way. Okay. I want my associates to know both sides of a transaction. At the end of the year, I typically do just about 50-50 buyers and sellers. Okay. Some, you know, heavier in the spring on listings usually, but at the end of the day, it evens out about 50-50. And I think that it's valuable perspective to understand how to represent a buyer and how to represent a seller. And if you're only always doing buyers or only doing listings, maybe things get a little skewed. Okay. So I focused more geographically. So in the beginning, it was more a price point thing and anything that or areas that I wasn't comfortable with or familiar with, I would pass on to my associate. But as I added other associates, I tried to strategically place people or look for people who worked a certain market or lived in a certain market. Interesting. I have my 
base market, Ansley Park, Midtown, Morningside. So then I looked for someone who worked in Brookhaven. Then I looked for someone who worked in Collier Hills. Then I looked for someone in Druid Hills and so on. And that is really how it goes. And that doesn't mean those people are pigeonholed. They can only work in that market. But if I get a referral in their area, then I pass it on. Oh, okay. I got it. That's an interesting approach. I've never really heard anybody kind of go about it systematically like that, but it kind of makes sense that you look at a map and you start here and then you start kind of building your your kingdom in areas that My you want to grow. You like, like that? that? You're the yeah. queen of the kingdom. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so how many people on the team now? So I have eight people on the team. Um, and at this point, we have an operations manager who is a salaried employee. So she is an actual employee. And she does get a bonus for every transaction that everyone on the team does. Every time there's a closing, she gets a bonus that's a percentage of okay. the dollar amount. We have, it, it is ebbing and flowing a little bit, but we really have three weekend admin people who rotate around. They are also associates, if you will, building their business and working in certain geographic areas, and then several other associates who are not performing any administrative duties. Okay. All right. So I'm sure along the way of those, you know, uh, eight people and the three admins and everything else, you've learned some things uh, from a standpoint of good fit, bad fit. When is it not a good fit? How do you let those people go? But any any kind of mistakes you've learned along the way or things you wouldn't do again that, you know, as others are you know, at that stage and thinking about adding others to their team that you could pass along as um, lived it advice? <laughs> <laughs> Lots of lived it advice. Um, listen to your gut. And sometimes when things really seem like they're not going to work out, you should listen to that. Um <laughs> I think that you have to prepare yourself, and, and I don't know that I was prepared for this in the beginning, that a lot of people want to be on a team, and they want to be on a team forever, and they have their reasons for that, and that is awesome for you as a team leader, the same way that some people want to be an admin or an operations manager forever. Mm -hmm. But you should be prepared that it is often... A training ground and they will ultimately leave and that's okay that doesn't mean that you did something wrong or they did something wrong if they want to go on and become an individual agent that's okay and in the beginning when people left because a couple of people left relatively early on it was hurtful and I didn't know why they wouldn't want to just stay and work with me forever. But the last agent who left the nest, I guess. The kingdom. I'm, the kingdom. Yes. Um, <laughs> I'm so proud of him. I, he actually went to another company. I wish he had stayed at Harry Norman. But he came to me. He was very honest and upfront with me about why he was leaving and what he wanted to accomplish and how 
happy he was. He had learned things with our group and he recently bought his own condo and called me and told me that he never would have been able to do that if he had not learned so much working with us. And I'm really proud of him and I'm really happy for him. So I guess I became more prepared over time that that will inevitably happen with a lot of people because they'll just naturally ebb out of the program maybe. So be prepared for that for sure and listen to your gut. But all kinds of people have been and can be successful in this business. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to think outside the box. I haven't actively really ever sought new associates or admin. Things have happened kind of organically maybe. And I think that's the best way. Personal referrals, referrals from other agents, from clients, and that when you have some kind of baseline comfort with a person, I think that's really good. Awesome. So let me ask you this, because this is another thing that uh, in my experience has been a hurdle for agents to get over when it comes to adding somebody, adding an assistant, adding a virus, or, you know, just adding somebody to their team is we all think that nobody can do it like us. Right. So, um, you know, how, I guess two questions really, how did you get past the whole notion of, oh my God, nobody can do it better than me. And then what do you do now to ensure that there's that quality control? Because when these people are out, they are representing you and your brand. And so, you know, what do you do? What measures do you take to ensure that the, you know, they're doing the things that you like to have them done? And then like, how did you just kind of get past it, just letting go? Well, you have to let it go. And sometimes I say, the more children I had, the older they got, the lower my expectation of life <laughs> became. And they are all very wonderful, but you you have to let things go and not obsess. And if you have hired good people who you can trust, then you have to trust them. And you have to not second guess decisions that they make. I mean, certainly there are times when there needs to be a correction or intervention maybe, but I remember maybe five-ish years ago being out of the country on a trip with my husband and having one of my folks involved in a negotiation that did not work out and I was convinced that if I had been there, it would have all gone differently. And then I thought about it some more and I thought, what a terrible way to think of this person who you have chosen to work with, who's chosen to work with you, give that person the benefit of the doubt and know that they've done the best that they could. You're not privy to every single detail of the situation and just trust that your people are doing the best that they can. And if something specific arises, have an immediate correction. So you got to get over it. You got to get out of their way and make sure that they're 
doing their job. And then how do we ensure that they're representing? We've got some pretty clear programs in place. So this is not rocket science. You know, we're right. not cure it. That what we're doing is very important and we're helping people and we're working with their biggest financial asset at times, but it's not it doesn't take, I guess, you know, a super brilliant person to be successful. You just have to work hard and you have to have good ethics and follow the program. And if you follow the program, you're going to represent our brand and everything's going to be great. Awesome. Excellent. Um, want to switch gears here a little bit and heard a lot of great things about how you put your team together and how it's structured and everything else. And now I want to go into a little bit more about you and, you know, as it relates to now your team, where do you, where do you find your spell spending the greatest amount of time and what do you believe is your highest and best use of your time for your team? And I think that's a great question, and I, I think about that a lot. And you know, going back to one of your earlier points, the admin and the helpers need to handle the administrative things. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but I don't know how to use app files, Todd. <laughs> that's um, okay. I, I don't really want to know how to use app files. I. I embrace technology only to a degree, but I think my highest and best use is building relationships and spending time with my clients or my prospective clients, referral sources. I spend a ton of time on the telephone with people, meeting with people in person. I show listings by appointment. If at all possible, I try to take my own buyers out looking at things. So. My best use is being in front of and with people. Great. So um, you answered my question. I was going to ask if you primarily just went on listing appointments, but it sounds like your 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 team business is about 50-50 listings buyers. And would you say that your personal contribution to that team is about the same 50-50? I think that's right, yes. Okay. All right. Um, so when things get a little slow which they invariably do for all of us from time to time. Is there like a go-to activity that you know, if I start doing this again, we're going to start seeing the business pick back up? Geographic farming. Okay. All I'm right. a huge believer in that. And I have been from the very beginning. I have at times been too busy doing other things and slacked off, but that's something that everyone in my group is meant to be doing on a regular basis, sending out newsletters in their geographic area, and it's like magic. You send out a newsletter and you get a bunch of phone calls off of it, and <laughs> it's sometimes hard to get them to do that, and then they say, oh my gosh. I got three calls when my newsletter hit people's mailboxes. And so that is a baseline. We're always doing geographic farming. Staying out phys physically in front of 
where you want to have yard signs and everything else. Do you do anything beyond the newsletter? Do you do just listed or just sold postcards in addition to that? Absolutely. Always just listed and just sold postcards. We do advertising in certain print publications depending on where we have listings or where we feel like we have a lot of market share, need more market share. So we, I have always believed strongly in physical mailing. We do lots of stuff online too. We send lots of emails. We use the CRM. Um, we use social media a lot. I was going to say, I know you, you, I know you're always wanting to improve, but you're a beast on social media, especially I think Instagram is where you, I, I see you more on Instagram than Facebook. I think Facebook, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think you're on both. But talk, tell us a little bit about that. Is that something that you're very uh, aware of and sensitive to and you always are trying to post on a regular basis? Yes, absolutely. And I do have help with some of my folks. Um, Danielle Napolitano, I've got to give her a shout out. She has really handled our social media and she does a great job on it. She plans, I would say, 90% of the posts. Stephanie Jones, our operations manager, gives a lot of input as well. And I'm trying to get better about adding in some personal stuff because I think that really boosts your followers. It makes you seem more real and it's not all just house, house, house. And I'm bad about that. I'm a terrible rememberer of taking pictures when I'm doing stuff, but I'm trying to get better. But I think social media is super important and we are focused on that. Excellent. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break, uh, but when we come back, um, I want to ask you about uh, what you think, what you're seeing going on in the market right now, um, and advice for some new people out there on what you did maybe to kind of get started, or advice that you might have for them 15 plus years in the business, and what they might want to do to get started. Just a couple other questions. So we'll be back in a second, and uh, please join us when we come back. <music> 